G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. Study 16 is drawn from Luke chapter 11, verse 14, to chapter 12, verse 12, and we will title it just Controversies. As they moved towards Jerusalem, antagonism to all that Jesus represented grew. There is no clear pattern in this passage. Problem piled on problem, attack followed attack. Question 1. Really, only for those of you for whom it is relevant. According to the experts, those of us who live in the Western world live in a Christianized, but now post-Christian society, and therefore in a situation much less clearly defined than it was in New Testament days. Then they knew who the enemy was. We can be much less sure. Apathy, rather than antagonism, is our main enemy. Do you agree? If so, give examples of where this can be seen. Our world is clearly Christianized by its historical background, but there is a steady movement to a more secularized society in most of the Western world, showing in slightly different ways in different countries. In the UK, this shows in strong arguments in the media that religion is to have no role at all in politics or civic life. The advisor to one former Prime Minister announced that we do not do God. What is called multiculturalism is appealed to to prevent any idea that Christianity has a special role in society, in spite of it having been dominant for more than a thousand years. Those are roughly the thoughts and questions that we shared in our small group. Sorry if next to none of that refers to the situation you face. It is important for you, as it is for us, to think through how the culture of the society in which we live interacts with our Christian faith. It's high time for us to read chapter 11, verses 14 to 28. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd were amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom... It's high time for us to read chapter 11, verses 14 to 28. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd were amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out 
demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is your mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus clearly divides the world he lived in into two warring parts, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, because he says that a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? And he says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Incidentally, by using a word about war, I do not mean that there is any place for physically aggressive fighting in our faith. Defence may be another matter. Question two. Can we divide our world the same way? What are the implications of doing so? We need to be very careful here. It is all too easy to think that where we are is the kingdom of God, and what opposes us is the kingdom of Satan. It may be, but it may be just our arrogantly self-centered view of the world. Yet Satan is an all-too-real force in the world. Indeed, it is easy to argue that he has been more active than usual in the last hundred years, in all the wars, massacres and famines that have plagued the human race. We ignore him at our peril. Question 3. When Jesus talks in terms of warfare, as he does when he talks about a strong man fully armed guarding his house and someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, and so on, he distinguishes between those who are with him and those who are against him. Where is the front line today? between those he describes as with me and those against me. The answer to this one will vary according to where you live. As a general statement, perhaps it is best to say that those, and only those, who are prepared to say, 
Jesus is Lord are those who are with us. Question 4. In chapter 11, verse 24 to 26, we read, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order, and then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That suggests that turning over a new leaf is counterproductive unless it is by the Spirit of God. Can you illustrate this from your own experience by citing the case of someone who tried to turn over a new leaf without a spiritual dimension to it and slipped back into their old ways or worse? The answer to that one is all yours. Question 5. In what way does verse 28, which says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it, take forward the statement of Jesus about Mary, that Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary was commended for listening. This verse says we must not only hear the word of God, we must do it. And remember, Jesus means by doing action in the world, in loving other people and acting in their support, not just sitting in church and attending worship or praying regularly. There are plenty of other religions in the world which are all about doing the right religious things. None others which are so focused on our behaviour towards other people. Now read verses 29 to 36. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted, as when the light of a lamp shines on you. The emphasis in verse 16 
where it says others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. And in these verses we've just read, which are about the sign of Jonah, is on the absence of any sign except the presence of Jesus. But at least they looked for a sign. If our generation does not do so, the likely judgment on them, or should I be saying on us, sounds as though it will be grim. Now we read verses 37 to 54. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Jesus, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might see. If you belong to an ordinary small Protestant church, as we do, our religiosity may appear to an outsider very vague and unfocused compared with that of most overtly religious people, people like the High Church of England, the Roman Catholics, the Muslims, the Mormons, the Hindus, etc. 
We have no liturgy, no splendid ceremonies and ceremonial wear, no prescribed level of contribution, no required standards of behaviour. So, to some extent, we escape the accusations of Jesus in these verses. But we're not blameless. Question 6. For each of the seven woes, think of how they might be reworded to attack our weaknesses. Some of them the same, some of them the exact opposite of theirs. I'll read them out one at a time, and after a very brief pause, suggest what your answer might have been. The first one, which is not actually labelled a woe, is this. Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. We don't make a great thing of cleanliness, which is good, but perhaps we fail to give as much to the poor as we should. Second woe. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. All very well, but perhaps a lot of Christians, at least in the Western world, do not give a tenth even. The next woe. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. We're probably more subtle about it than they were, but we tend to do much the same thing. Next woe. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. I don't really know what that one means in our culture. Next, Jesus said, You experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Perhaps... That applies fairly directly to us. Next woe. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Well, we don't build tombs for prophets, but we'd probably do spend an awful lot of money on church buildings to suit ourselves and forget about the mission to the world. And final woe. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. And some of the things which come out of our theological colleges 
are not very good. People go to great lengths to explain away the scripture, and that is very destructive of faith. Would the Lord say woe to us? I don't need to tell you what I think the answer to that question would be. And finally, we read the first 12 verses of chapter 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not, not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. These verses are about a demand for a total commitment that is quite frightening. We can, perhaps we do, often slide sideways from these statements in a smokescreen of words. Question 7. Which statement in these verses, this last passage, do you find most difficult or most encouraging? Of course, the answer to that one is up to you. For me, the most difficult is the idea that those who do not follow Jesus will be thrown into hell. And the most encouraging is the fact that God knows all about the sparrows that squabble in our back garden, thinking they are singing when they are making the most awful noise. There is great hope for you and me in that statement if he looks after those sparrows. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.